Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to Wednesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. And with December simply powering on, so too is the Premier League action. But as always, never fear, because if you've missed any of the action through a bit of Christmas shopping or some unexpected trips to the pub here at FSD, we have got you covered. A daily podcast here from the show right the way up until December 25th. And on today's show, we'll be looking backwards and forwards as one of those brilliant midweek Christmas schedules keeps us nicely topped up until the weekend. In part one of the show, we check out seventh heaven at the Etihad as Manchester City smashed seven, yep, sorry Ian, seven past Leeds, whilst Aston Villa continued their strong recent form with a fourth Premier League win under Steven Gerrard. And then in part two, it is preview time with a string of teams looking for some early Christmas cheer. Out of form, Brighton play host to Wolves. Watford head off to Burnley. Crystal Palace welcome Southampton to Selhurst Park. And then an Abamianglis Arsenal play host to West Ham. So plenty to get through, both previews and reviews. My name's Fergal Brennan. And on today's show, I think it's fair to say we have two wildly contrasting guests. We have Ian, sadder than Marcelo Bielsa when he finds his hole in a bucket, Brannon, and we also have a very smug Matt 7-0 Pid. Ian, rough mm. night, but with the dust settled and a few coffees in you, how are you feeling this morning? Ah, oh, look, you know, the worst things happen at sea. I was watching Succession, actually, which is a great uh, TV series. If you haven't checked it out yet, I recommend that you watch that rather than the highlights of Manchester City versus Leeds United last night. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, these things happen. These things happen. The highlight, though, was, of course, I uh, I put on this meme that's going around um, on, on my Twitter, which is uh, a picture of, <laughs> of Jack Duff. What's his son? What was his son called? In, in Corey, that's the thing I've been racking my brains for. Terry, Terry, Terry. That's right. Yeah. So it's Jack Duckworth and Terry at the bar in the Rovers' return, and it was actually Tyrone. Oh, it wasn't oh, Terry. Tyrone. It was Tyrone. Sorry, Tyrone. Yeah, that's the one. All right. So it's Jack Duckworth and Tyrone at the bar in the Rovers' return, and uh, the caption that's going around is, you know, um, Jack Duckworth and uh, no, no, it's Marcelo Bielsa and his and his translator fuming after being beat seven nil at Man City, and I put this on, and Matt then announces, which is, I think this is. This is the bit we should be talking about. Forget the game. That Matt's granddad is actually the real life Bill Tarmy Jack Duckworth, which is which is br- amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I seen that on Twitter last night, and I was like, how how ironic is this? And the most ironic thing about it is on a Man City meme, and he was actually a massive red. He was mates with Ferguson. So yeah, there we go. It is a small world, isn't it? <laughs> it certainly is. It certainly is. But good stuff. Uh, celeb spotting on Twitter and seven goals at the Etihad. Matt, it's not really worth asking how you are because I think we can probably guess. But to be polite, I am going to ask you how you are. How are you doing? 7-0, Jack Duckworth in the Rovers. How's things? 
<laughs> yeah, I'm okay, buddy. Listen, I can completely sympathise with Ian because I know how it feels to be beaten by seven goals. Um, I was actually at the 8-1 against Middlesbrough and it's not fun. But, you know, they'll, they'll bounce back from it, Leeds. I feel like um, they've got a good enough squad and a good enough manager to do so. They do, indeed. Right, we're going to start with City and, Matt, we're just going to let you have a little bask because at the end of the day, seven nils, they happen, but they don't happen that often. And... The little pun that I put in the notes, which is terrible, absolutely terrible, that everything City touched turned to gold. Uh, I think my days as a headline writer are behind me, but, you know, I can still pull them out when uh, when needed. 7-0 on the night, uh, but arguably it could have been more. We were joking before we started recording. 15 shots on target, which meant that Man City actually scored less than 50% of the attempts that they peppered Elon Melier's goal with. They didn't manage to break the record from 2019, which is City's highest ever Premier League win, an 8-0 victory against Watford. But, Matt, 7-0, you can kind of dress it up as, you know, this is what happens, Leeds have got problems, Man City are on form, but this is an incredible result. They do happen, but they don't happen that often. And 7-0 at home, it could not have gone any better. No, it couldn't. Um, I'm just going to give you a quick stat just before I go over the game. Um, City had more shots against Leeds last night than Spurs did in the whole of September. So yeah, it was. It's not as bad as everyone says that the fact that we did we can we uh, we scored less than half of our chances. But um, anyway, yeah. So going on to the game, City missed obviously Cancelo through suspension and Walker through illness. So Zinchenko and Stones came in with um, Stones filling in at right back. Sterling also given a rest from the weekend. Um, Mares coming in and also Kevin De Bruyne starting, which was a massive boost to the squad. Um, City started off aggressive, which was obviously the theme for the whole evening. Uh, they were relentless from start to finish. Um, Bernardo with one of the misses of the season should have put City one up in the first 10 minutes but you know he scuffed his shot just wide of the goal with his right foot but you know given how excellent he's been this season he's allowed to have a moment like that in a match you know it's um, especially it didn't really you know count for much on the night um, then Rodri who was excellent once again on the night powered through Leeds midfield it then broke luckily to forward enough Melier who just squeezed it um, past Dallas who was the hero for them against City last season ironically but he tried to block it on the line and unfortunately for them he just couldn't keep it out um, City just kept up the pressure you know dominating possession and just pinning Leeds back in their own half um, City second came from a corner cleared from Leeds but the ball found its way to the left foot of uh, Riyad Mahrez who whipped in a pinpoint cross onto the head of Grealish who deserved his goal after a frustrating few weeks, you know, where his performances have deserved the goal, but it just been hasn't been happening for him. Um, hopefully, that silences some of his critics, because, you know, I've had a few arguments with City fans on Twitter recently about him. Um, he's definitely not had any luck in front of goal over the last few weeks, but last night he did. And he also played well in the night as well. You know, his link-up play in the midfield was, was brilliant. Um, Kevin De Bruyne looked back more like his he's, he's usual best in the first half. He's had a very inconsistent start to the season, but last night he looked back to his old self, you know, with his, his general overall play. Um, some smart interplay with Foden and Rodri, who then, you know, fed it into Kevin De Bruyne, who finished smartly past Melier. You know, it was 3 0 before the break, and it could have been more, but City's overall play deserved the commanding lead. Second half, Bernardo was taken off. You know, he's he's earned the rest there, Bernardo. He's played a lot of football over the last few weeks. He was taken off for Gundogan. Um, and then City just basically picked up where they left off simply just by strangling the life out of Leeds, you know, by just passing them to death. You almost, like, felt sorry for him in that respect. Um, Zinchenko won the ball well on the touchline. Some good work from Grealish and Gundogan. Put the ball into Mares, uh, who added his goal to his assist. It was obviously, we were talking about it before, having a touch of fortune about some of the goals. This one um, deflected off um, the defender and just fizzed into the far corner. Not a lot a lot Melier could have done about it. Um, mentioning Zinchenko again, who for me, at the moment, like when he starts, he's, he's Mr. Dependable. He, he seems to very rarely put a foot wrong. You know, he very rarely drops like a less than a 7 out of 10. Um, he won the ball again this time from a header from a goal kip. Um, again, Grealish and Gundogan well and um, put it back into De Bruyne who, whose vintage performance on the night you know he, he scored a signature right foot screamer that flew into the roof of the net you know Melier was given no chance and it was so good to see De Bruyne back to his breast you know we've really missed that this season obviously struggle with form and he's had injuries and obviously Covid as well so hopefully now this is the return of King Kevin you know, he couldn't have timed it any better if that's the case. We all know on his day, he's the best player in the league in terms of his creativity. So it's it's just what City are going to need going into this winter, busy winter period in the second half of the season. Um, Laporte and Stones 
which probably trying to have a little bit of a competition between themselves at this point, trying to put the ball past Melier. But um, he made a couple of good saves, one from the port and then Stones, but then Stones obviously smashed in the rebound with his left foot. And that was actually... John Stones, his first ever Premier League goal for City. All of his other goals have come in the Champions League for him, so that'll be nice for him there. And finally, Ake, come off the bench for uh, Diaz, who was obviously butts on the night, uh, made it seven with a clever bit of movement from the corner. You know, he escaped his marker by peeling off him to the back post, and he planted his header into the far corner. You know, it's nice to see him coming on and adding to the score sheet. He's had a tough couple of months after, you know, losing his dad. So it was um, he's, he's contributed in defence, and he's also putting the ball in the net, so that's something for him to smile about. So yeah, after a lacklustre performance against Wolves on Saturday, City well and truly put down a marker to Chelsea and Liverpool now, you know, going four points clear at least for a few hours. So it's, uh, yeah, over to those two sides now to try and match us. Another clean sheet in the league, which brings us to our 10th in total. We've only conceded nine, and it's just uh, put a few goals to go towards our goal difference, which we all know, you know, it can be important going into the end of the season. Scoring seven without a natural centre-forward isn't bad at all, you know. That's a testament to Pep and a great night all round for uh, boring, boring City. <laughs> I don't think anyone's calling City boring after that. And I, I agree, I think that the De Bruyne point is the key one because as fantastic as City are and this idea that they didn't sign a nine in the summer but they've been able to spread the goals and when they break forward, there's there's so much talent. They're just dripping with, with goals and, and goals threat De Bruyne is still the key in the door and when those big games start to roll around in, in 2022 in the Premier League and when the Champions League kicks back in Kevin De Bruyne is still as you say King Kevin because he is still the difference maker and the edge for Man City uh, Ian we're going to take a quick look at Leeds difficult to, to scrabble around and look for some positives two maybe even three of the goals on the night were deflections that, that Melier just, just couldn't get near Stuart Dallas had a couple of chances that Edison saved that could have maybe changed the direction of the game slightly and made it less of a, of a route but you mentioned before we started recording and it, and it is true that you cannot underestimate the injury situation at Leeds at the moment we've got six players sidelined at the moment and they're not just six players within the squad they're probably six players that will be in the starting 11 that were unavailable last night so a difficult night a painful night but ultimately as you mentioned right at the start something that you just kind of have to write off because of the situation for Marcelo Bielsa right now. Leeds' fixture list over this point of, of the year, you know, right from the day that the, the fixtures were released, we knew it was going to be a tough time playing, you know, most of the top four or five, one after the other. You know, they've played uh, Chelsea, Man City. They've still got Liverpool to come next. Um, Ars- oh, sorry, Arsenal to come next. Got Liverpool on uh, on Boxing Day. So, you know, it, we're in the middle of a, a pretty tricky run. The saving grace, of course, is that Newcastle um, have to play them in pretty much similar order as well. So that's, that's one thing. Um, um, everybody's got to play Man City at some point. You know when the fixture list comes out. If you're a team like Leeds, it's it's more important for Leeds to be winning the games with the, the teams around them, let's say the bottom half um, teams, than it is against Man City. Because I think, really, you, you do sort of write these fixtures off of, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get what we can. And, and last season, of course, it was different. And they did manage to, to scrape a point against Man City. But... Firmly, um, a different story uh, last night. The saving graces, before we move on to the, the injuries and stuff, the saving graces is that Leeds have never been beaten by more than seven goals in their entire history, and that just about remained intact last night. Um, Man City have have never won by more than a, a seven... Uh, oh, actually, no, they, they have won by eight, haven't they? But it's their second biggest win in the top flight um, last night. Marcelo Bielsa has managed for 568 games of, uh, of league football in his career, and this is the first time he's ever seen a side of his ship seven goals goals so there were some firsts you know it's uh, it's not all bad um, and Kevin De Bruyne's strike last night it was the hardest the second hardest shot of the season it was recorded at 70 miles an hour um, so an absolute rocket so you're not going to stop that I don't think anybody was going to stop that whoever the keeper was to be fair yes it's a big defeat it's just partly down to the way that Leeds play they keep it so open but they, <laughs> that includes the defence which wasn't ideal uh, as you mentioned though Leeds' first choice defence is not um, available at the moment because they're injured there's so many key injuries and really the spine of the team is out when you take into account players like um, 
you know, Cooper, who's been like the club captain uh, and, and rock solid in defence for so long. Um, Calvin Phillips being out and he's going to be out. He's apparently had an operation and um, to fix his hamstring and he's looking like being out until mid-February at least. Now that is a bigger concern than being beaten 7-0 by Man City, I would say. Bamford being out because he had this ankle injury, came back, scored a goal uh, in, in that game against Brentford and then during his celebration injured his hamstring apparently so he's out again now so that's as you say there's there's so many key injuries that I think any team that had lost the spine of your team for so long is going to suffer the thing that worries me most is the fact that you're losing people like Calvin Phillips and Patrick Bamford for so long because they are what makes it all tick and we saw last season when when Calvin Phillips was out that's when Leeds had their wobble and Calvin Phillips being out for so long is is a bit of a concern luckily the transfer window's coming maybe he's just at the right time uh, we'll see if they make any any changes there but you know to be honest you know Leeds the way Leeds play is always going to leave them open to 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 scoring uh, to having goals scored against them because they they're not a team that park the bus. It's not something they do. And certainly when you've got a defender like uh, Junior Firpo in your side, then uh, yeah, you might as well just if you're going to park a bus, it's like leaving the handbrake off. So uh, you know, it's exciting to watch. Um but sometimes maybe it's not yes, yeah, that that. Um Brazil not known for their defenders. That's all we'll say. No, indeed. Uh, Matt, I've got, uh, sorry, Ian, I've got to be honest. Whilst I am concerned by how do you solve a problem like Bielsa, you can't leave us hanging. If De Bruyne's was the second most powerful shot, whose was the most powerful? Oh. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Right, go on. Do you know what? I'm going to let you, you research that and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to move out. on to Villa. We're going to move Who on to Villa. Who do you Villa. think it was? Uh, um, I don't know. You've caught me short. Do you know what? You find the answer and then we'll, then we'll get stuck into it because. I tell you what, like I'm, I'm googling it. I've got, I've got to remember that shot has got a letter O and not an I in it, uh, just from my internet history. The most powerful <laughs> of 2021. Yeah, OK. Leave that with me. Whilst uh, Ian's doing his research, we'll throw this one over to you to start with. 2-0 uh, for Villa against Norwich. Four wins under six, uh, under Ger- four wins in six, I should say, under Steven Gerrard. The only two defeats they've had so far, obviously coming against Manchester City and Liverpool, which in reality nobody was expecting him to do much in either of those games. Could have been a bit tighter at Anfield had it not been for a penalty being given away uh, last weekend. Is this probably the biggest strength that Gerard's brought to, this, to, to Villa Park since he's come in? This idea that as long as they're not playing someone inside the top four, they're probably guaranteed to, if they don't win, maybe get a point or make a bit of a scrap out of it. And when you're in a position like Villa, where in reality you are mid-table, maybe on the fringes of the Europa League, if you can maintain that record between now and the end of the season, you're in Europe and Gerard's made a hell of an impact. Yeah, absolutely. It was like similar to what we were saying before about Leeds. Um, they need to beat teams around them, you know, in order to be where they want to be at the end of the season. Games against Liverpool and Man City aren't going to be what defines Steven Gerrard's managerial um, appointment at Villa. Um, yeah, he's he's come in there and he, you can see his brightest philosophy that he's had at Rangers over to um, to Villa. Slightly less direct than Dean Smith, you see, that he's got an idea, he wants to play nice football. He's got some decent players there to do so as well. And obviously he's mixing it up with the um the young guns. You know, as obviously injuries aren't gonna help like players like Leon Bailey who are out, who've got a lot of quality. You know, if they're fit, some of the younger players might not, you know, get as much chance as what they're getting. But you know, these players that are coming in, they they're taking the up uh, the opportunity with both hands, like uh, Chucky Wenka, um set up Watkins last night it was um, a, a great pass as well straight across the six yard box and Watkins who's been deadly in front of goal for, for Villa is still continuing to do that so yeah these these games beating um, relegation you know threatened sides like Norwich 2-0 away from home and this are the games that he's going to be ultimately judged on not the games against um, Liverpool and Man City at the end of the day it's one of these for Steven Gerrard he's got a good backing from um, from a club like Villa is going to have money to spend and at the start of the season they had ambitions of finishing European places I had Villa fans saying that they're going to take the money from Grealish they're going to spend it on these players and they're going to challenge for the top four obviously their form hasn't gone the way that they thought it would obviously Dean Smith's got the sack so they're start, starting to rebuild from like from Gerrard now so they're going to have to just keep picking up these wins or picking up points on a consistent basis 
against the teams around them, especially at home, because we all know, like it's in in this league, your home form is your bread and butter. If you want to um, to have ambitions, um, you've got to just pick up points away from home as and when you can. Um, so last night, yeah, it's an important win for Villa, an important win for Steven Gerrard. Four four wins from six, definitely um, the start that he would have been looking for from his players. Ian, just taking a look at Norwich for the moment, we know it's almost a copy and paste with them in terms of when we talk about them either midweek or at the weekend that they just don't score enough goals. Um, And to be honest, I've had to just do a double take on on the Premier League table because I'm shocked by this. They've scored eight goals in 17 Premier League goals so far this season, which is is awful, quite frankly. And five of them coming from Timo Puki, and only three of them coming from open play for uh, for the Finland striker. So, given that position, we know that Dean Smith's kind of modus operandi is to make them harder to beat, make them more difficult, grind out results, get draws here, there, and everywhere, and hope that over the course of the season that's enough to to save them from relegation. But it was just the age-old story last night. A couple of half chances for for Puki and Adam Eder, both missed and then Kenny McLean has an absolute open goal to shoot at after a mistake by Tyrone Mings and he falls over inside the box and you do just get the sense that Smith has made them a little bit harder maybe a little bit stiffer through the spine of the team but based on these types of results they, they are probably going to go down unless there's a dramatic change between now and, and the, uh, the start of January yeah and, and it's we've been here before with Norwich and, and uh, there was a point at the, the start of this season where I thought that it seemed like they'd they'd learned their lesson, but it doesn't seem like they have. And and really, and I say this cautiously, um, bearing in mind what happened to Leeds last night. But I was always told by um, by those who are involved in the game, who who, who know better than me, um, by quite a long way, that you should always keep an eye on the goal difference. And you know the goal difference tells you the the true story of of what's going on because of course different points of the season you know one team can be slightly in front or behind in terms of matches played and and all this kind of thing but what the the one thing that shows through is if you're shipping loads of goals then you've got a problem certainly if you if you if, you know if you're not scoring anywhere near like the amount of goals that are going in the other end that is uh, is doomsday and you look back on any league table and the teams that are at the bottom unsurprisingly uh, are the ones that have shipped the most goals and um, I, I know that Manchester United were at one point um, down there with with Norwich in terms of the amount of goals scored, but obviously they they've, they're in a, in a different place and have got different resources. Whereas Norwich, you know, they're going to have to do something in in the transfer window if they're going to sort it out. And you know that that thing about being bottom at Christmas, you know. Newcastle obviously have got different, much different resources to to Norwich in that when it comes to the transfer window, Newcastle are going to spend ridiculous amounts of money on probably a load of tat to be to be quite frank because that's that's where they're at they're not going to get the players coming from top teams to, to bail Newcastle out of that they ain't interested yes they've got money to spend everybody knows they've got the money to spend they're going to get absolutely screwed in Newcastle it's just you know that's just how it's going to be but nonetheless they can kind of spend their way to, to a better place whereas Norwich really can't and they need to back Dean Smith because he's going to need some sort of resources to, to help get him out of there but as you say it's, it's, it's a simple game football score more than you let in and that's what Norwich are not doing and and, and especially putting so much faith in one player as we've seen with Leeds you know you lose you lose one player it's bad enough you lose a, a few and you know that situation is, is you know it can be a point where it, it's it's not savable you know and I think it's savable for them at this moment but they need to act now and if they don't, you know, they could be quickly cut adrift come, you know, January, start of February. And, it, you know, you've got a real mountain to climb. Yeah, indeed. Uh, worrying stuff for the former Aston Villa boss in Dean Smith, but lots of positives for the current incumbent in Steven Gerrard. Right. We're going to take a quick break here on the Football Social Daily. Oh, hang on. I've got the, I've got the hardest oh, shot of the season. Go on. The hardest on, shot of the on. season. 76 miles an hour. It was Rodri versus Everton. So both wow. city players. That'll do. Uh, so that was that was it. And and the, but, but a long way from the hardest shot of all time. The hardest. Stephen Reed. No. 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 Is it not? I know this because I, I used to I used to do a phone in with him, and it was his. Th- you know, he was always like, "Yep, not as fast as my shot." David Hurst, Sheffield Wednesday versus Arsenal, uh, nineteen ninety six, one hundred and fourteen miles an hour, and 
the reason that he knows that is because it was one of the few games that season where um, they actually set up a radar gun uh, behind the goal just to measure ah, um, right, shot okay. speed, and it just happened to be um, this. The, the, it was a trial that they were they were trying out for for something or other, and yeah, and and watch that game back, but that that was that is officially the highest. And, and there's loads of charts online about you know ninety odd miles an hour saying it's David Beckham, but it's not. It's David Hurst, hundred and fourteen miles an hour, hardest shot in the Premier League of all time. Wow. I, have, I fight with Stephen Reid against Wigan from um, I think it was 05-06 he's not on the list actually David Beckham oh, second 97.9 miles an hour versus Chelsea in 1997 David Trezeguet 96 miles an hour um, mind you that's, that was for uh, Monaco at Man United that was in the in obviously in the Champions League game uh, Richie Humphreys for Sheffield Wednesday in 1996 you didn't want to play against Sheffield Wednesday in 1996 did you, you didn't come away without your arms <laughs> just lie down that's, and just hope the ball doesn't hit you <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty much it uh, so yeah 140 mile an hour is the score to beat so um, yeah Boom. Kevin De Bruyne has got a little way to go yet but I think then you see the balls were a little bit heavier so it's probably harder to, to hit the ball as, yeah. as hard now Okay, fair enough. Right, on that ridiculous note, I think we are going to definitely take a break. Kevin De Bruyne, you've got a lot to learn. You definitely wouldn't be getting in the 1990s Sheffield Wednesday team. So it's not all glamour for Kevin De Bruyne so far this season. Right, after the break, we're going to be previewing the four Premier League games tonight. Brighton against Wolves, Burnley against Watford, Crystal Palace at home to Southampton and a captainless Arsenal take on West Ham. All that to come after the break. We'll be back in just a second. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to Wednesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. And as always, here at FSD, we are your daily source of all things Premier League. Every day, we have a daily Premier League podcast. And if you hit subscribe on this one, you can get access to that brand new episode as soon as it is ready. Right then, before the break, we reviewed last night's action. Seven goals in the back of the net for Manchester City as they battered Leeds. And another big night and another win for Steven Gerrard as Aston Villa saw off. Norwich but we're going to click into preview mode for tonight's games Matt I'm going to go to you first on this I think it's fair to say that pretty much all eight teams in action tonight are in need of a win in need of a bit of Christmas cheer and a bit of positivity as we go into it into a busy run of games so Brighton Wolves is the first one that we're going to look at both teams definitely could do with a win could do with something to cling on going into Christmas Brighton are having this bizarre ridiculous run eight draws and two losses in their last ten but based on the fact that there's still worse teams they're not really in any sort of clear and present danger of uh, being dragged into the relegation zone Wolves who had a nice strong start under Bruno Lage have dipped off in the last few weeks last six games they've only took out two points from four um, and they're kind of struggling to, to get a bit of momentum back obviously difficult against City at the weekend so this is a difficult one to call because both teams are in real dire need definitely Brighton of getting a result no Jimenez for Wolves obviously after being sent off against City how do you see this one going down um, big game tonight for both sides as like you said they're both desperate for the three points um, Brighton's ridiculous run of draws reminds me of a City's run of draws in 2009 under Mark Hughes I think we drew something like 10 on the trot and which ultimately ended up costing him his job um, just after Christmas that year I mean I can't see the same happening to Graham Potter but you know we've heard rumblings of discontent with the Brighton fans you know booing them after you know a few weeks ago and he was like stood there looking perplexed about it so you know players like Mope you can snatch points for him are going to need to be on, on form and, and stay fit for him um, Wolves on the back of back to back defeats in the league against Liverpool and City but we've discussed this before they wasn't expected to do anything in those games you know they need to get back to basics and just try and grind out a win tonight you know Bruno Large has proven he knows how to play stubborn football and be hard to beat and to score against so he needs more of that tonight from his players you know with a bit of ruthlessness and aggression up front like I said Raul Jimenez will be a big miss for them tonight you know after the stupid sending off against City over weekend um, to be honest with you I can't really see a clear winner in this um, I can give Brighton home advantage here they're going to be de- they're going to obviously have home advantage on their side they're equally as desperate for the three points because we know if you, you draw in games too many games and other teams around you are picking up points you can be quickly sucked into that relegation battle so I'm going to say Brighton are going to win this one tonight 2-0 
Ian, how do you see this one going down? Obviously, Brighton are in the worst form in comparison to Le- uh, in comparison to Wolves, but neither of them are exactly tearing up at the minute. Home advantage for Brighton, but that hasn't really served them well in the last couple of months. Nil-nil against Leeds last time at home. Drew with Newcastle at home, got battered by Man City at home, and then a nil-nil draw against Arsenal way back at the start of October. How do you see this one going? Well, <clears throat> it's a classic mid-table obscurity battle, isn't it? Uh, I would say. Um, neither side has, has, I mean, really been particularly prolific lately have they I mean Wolves haven't won um, for four or five games um, Brighton have, have drawn their last three games and again they haven't had a, a win in the last five either so I don't know it's, it's got draw written all over it <laughs> I think it just uh, it just has I think if anybody's slightly more desperate for the points perhaps it's it's Wolves um, but you say it's a tricky place to go Brighton it, I don't know I don't know, it, it honks to me of a draw. I'm going to go like a one-all draw or something like that. I don't really find, as I say, they're very, very evenly matched. It's very hard to say who's going to have the upper hand in this. The only thing really is that home advantage for Brighton and the fact that Brighton are probably more desperate for a win slightly than than Wolves. But, um, yeah, no, no. Really want why I picked that one. <laughs> I've got to be honest. There's n- nothing really lights up about it. Vague. I'm being vague about it. Last of the match of the day, that. Yeah, it's exactly. It's got last of the match of the day written all over it. And it ended in 1-1. <laughs> there was a fight after the final whistle. That would be the most exciting thing. Well, if that one if that one gets fouled under mid mid table obscurity, Ian, the next one is a bit more spice to it because it could potentially mean a change in the bottom three. Burnley at home to Watford again, two teams not in the best of form. Burnley without a win in five, and Watford who've only won two since Claudio Ranieri came in. So, looking at Burnley's position, if they win tonight at home, if they get the three points, they're out of the bottom three, and that's the first time since the end of August. It's been a slog for Sean Dyche so far this season. So, I want to ask you about the situation with Burnley. We do always expect this. Situation Situation that as long as Sean Dyche is there, they'll eventually dig and dig and, and get themselves out of it. But this is the point of the season where Burnley gonna Burnley. If they're gonna get out of this, this is the point of the season where they need to do it. Watford tonight, Villa away at the weekend, Everton on Boxing Day, and then Manchester United to to wrap up 2021. And then moving into January, they, they start uh, to start to get a few difficult games, but this is the point where they need to start racking up points and putting a bit of distance between themselves and the bottom three. Are you confident that they can do it? I'm not. I'm confident that they they can probably maybe just about stay up, but obviously it's a bit close between them and Leeds at the minute. I'd quite, quite like that to be a draw as well. But um, Burnley are a weird one. And I heard a, a discussion about this earlier in the week and it was quite, quite an interesting point, actually, that obviously Burnley have been in the Premier League quite a long time now. Sean Dyche is one of the you know, longest, if not the longest serving Premier League manager in, in, you know, in, in one um, solid post. And over that time, Burnley have earned a lot of money out of the Premier League. Something like six hundred, seven hundred million pounds that they will have received through the you know the TV rights and all that. But yet we don't really ever see them going big in the transfer window with, with their signings. And I know that they've they've got this um policy of, of, of putting money away for a rainy day. But you have to wonder when you're in a situation like they are and the cost that it would be to them if they did go down, that really maybe now's the time to sort of crack into that and and with this transfer window coming up to try and get themselves up the table. We'd, 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 you'd sort of see teams that come up like, you know, Wolves, for example, Brighton, you know, they, they go up and they, and they sort of get into that mid-table bit and invest in their squad a little bit more and, and try and stop themselves getting involved in that bottom three or four. But Burnley always seem to be there or thereabouts, don't they? Um, for them tonight, it's a big one, as you say. both Well, big one for both teams because Watford are on a solid run of four losses on the bounce. Um, Burnley are the are the draw kings at the moment of the uh, of, of of the Premier League, and obviously they'll be looking to get the points on the board as well to get themselves up there. And uh, yeah, Christmas is a telling time. Um, really not sure how it will pan out. But uh, Watford are one of the most potent teams in front of goal, and they're letting plenty in. But they're you know we know that they're they're capable of scoring. Burnley haven't been quite so prolific in front of goal. I know that because I put uh, Chris Wood in my fantasy team, and he earned nothing. Uh, uh, so there we go. That was the only upside <laughs> to the Man City. But the only upside to the oh, Man City game side. was I had uh, Diaz and uh, Grealish in my fantasy team. So at least I got a few points. Oh, good pit there, Ian. <laughs> 
Every cloud and all that, Ian, I think obviously you're still kind of looking for positives from the, the Leeds game last night. Looking at Watford, Matt, in terms of what they can expect from tonight's game, since Claudio Ranieri's come in, it's been difficult, six points in nine games, but those two wins against Everton and United, they do look to be in the rearview mirror as it stands because they were impressive, but they were freak results, scoring five against Everton, scoring four against uh, United, which ultimately led to, to Solskjaer losing his job. They've conceded 17 goals in the nine games that he's been in charge, and there was this idea idea that Emmanuel Dennis and Ismail Assar and Josh King could just outscore the opposition but Ranieri is absolutely tearing his hair out by the amount of goals that they are they're conceding and looking at the Brentford game from last Friday night they let in two in the last five minutes and he pretty much said in his in his post-match press in, press conference just boot it just rosette it kick it out of the ground we're winning just make sure we do enough to get over the line and ultimately you look at Watford and you just think yes they might get a few goals and yes Dennis and, and Ismail Assar will probably break 10 or maybe even 15 for the season but they're so bad defensively that unless they change that immediately they're in big big trouble um, firstly I wouldn't call putting four past United a freak result especially under Solskjaer you know we know how bad they were there um, yeah, on, a, on a more serious note though um, Watford they do need players like you know Emmanuel Dennis Ismail Assar um, even Kuko Hernandez as well and Josh King just to be at it tonight um, but like we said Watford's main issue is conceding goals so it's more you need to start looking at your back four rather than who's putting the ball in and up at the other end so we know how it difficult it can be going to turf more it's almost as famous as the uh, cold wet and windy Wednesday night in Stoke because obviously Stoke haven't been in the Premier League for a few years now so they're, uh, that, that's the equivalent now if you go into them um, at this time of year through the week um, yeah it's just good it, again it's just got like your typical mid-table obscurity written all over this but we, we know Ranieri has experience in this league um, he knows how to get the best out of his players when he need, he really needs to. The last few results haven't been great for them. The result against Brentford um, on Friday night was, you know, losing like in the in the last like five minutes, like you just said. He just needs to get his team back to basics. A lot of emphasis nowadays on playing out from the back and trying to be clever and cute. But if you haven't got the personnel to do so, then you just need to keep it simple, like you said, just boot it into Rosehead as and when you need. These are the games where Watford are going to have to pick up points. They cannot. Afford to lose tonight obviously Burnley can't afford to lose tonight but Watford even more so Watford need to go there tonight they need to be steely they need to be brave with and without the ball and they just need to come together as a team and they need to hope that players like we mentioned like Dennis like Hernandez like King like Saar do the business up front but they need the players at the back to do the business for them as well because they can't keep conceding goals the way they are at the moment because if you if like we was talking about goal difference before it's a massive telltale sign if you are if you are in that minus bracket and you're into double figures you know like Watford are then um, it's very very unlikely that you're going to survive the season in the Premier League Right Matt before we move on call this for us how is it going to go down? Um, I'm going to go for a one-all draw One-all draw again uh, Ian uh, Burnley at home or Watford to get an unexpected win on the road? Purely on a Leeds United front, I could do with Burnley. I certainly don't want Watford winning. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I just go for a one-all draw, yeah. Yeah, seems safe, <laughs> doesn't it? Let's go for match abandoned. <laughs> match abandoned. Slow and, slow and steady wins the race. One-all draw uh, all round on that one. Right, let's move on. But this one can definitely be filed under mid-table obscurity as well. Crystal Palace at home to Southampton. Ian, in terms of form, Palace just about having the edge. Obviously winning against Everton last weekend. That's one win in five, whereas Southampton have no wins in five. Palace will be looking at the games between now and the end of the year. Southampton at home tonight. Watford away uh, at the weekend. Tottenham away on Boxing Day. And then Norwich at home to wrap up the year. They'll probably hit the stickiest spell under Vieira in the last few weeks, but so much of the signs that he's demonstrated have looked positive. They've probably been unfortunate in some games not to win when they've had to come away with a draw. Given the fact that Southampton are missing some important players, no Che Adams, Armstrong and Brock are more than likely going to be out, you'd fancy Palace to, to pick up three points here and, and push on. Yeah, Palace certainly seem to have the the wind in their sails. And as I was saying with Leeds, really, that um, all the teams in that bracket, I mean, the, you've got a, a bit of a mini battle going on between the bottom two or three who are trying to get themselves out of the relegation zone. And then you've got this group of teams probably from um, probably from about eight, you know, where Leicester City are down to 17 at Watford, who, you know, they're, they're all kind of in this mini 
mini league of their own in in the bottom half, really. Um, and those are the teams that they you know you need to win against each other to to ensure your survival. So for Crystal Palace, as you say, they've you know they're, they're doing a lot better than Southampton in terms of um, you know not conceding silly goals. Um, Patrick Vieira has certainly done quite a good job there, I think, so far. Um, and yeah, he's not going to win them all, but he certainly seems to have them scoring goals and, and a fairly decent defence, um, more so than Southampton. So for that reason, I think that Crystal Palace, to nick it, I don't think there'll be much in it because um, I think they're fairly evenly matched teams, but certainly fancy Southampton being more susceptible to, to, to leak goals than Crystal Palace. Would you agree with that, Matt? Looking at the form, um, Southampton are probably, you know, not really looking great. You'd expect them still to be okay in terms of the relegation battle, but Vieira's Palace do seem to have a bit about them. Conor Gallagher's getting himself a few goals. Wolf Sahar is always a threat. Do you see this being a home win? Yeah, with with Palace being at home and Southampton missing the players that they are, yeah, I'd say I, I'd go with Palace two um, 0 against Southampton. I think I think Vieira's done a, a relatively good job with um, with Palace so far. Like I said, players like Conor Gallagher and Will Zaha, you know, players that are, are going to cause teams problems. And with Southampton missing the players that they are tonight, I just I just can't see them um, getting anything out of the game. Two 0 Palace for me. Okay, very good. Right, the last game that we're going to look at for tonight, Ian, we're going to go to you first on this, is Arsenal against West Ham. This is a battle for the top four based on how the result goes down tonight. But in reality, there's only one story doing the rounds before kickoff, and that is Ubergate. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has been stripped of the Arsenal captaincy after a COVID-19 disciplinary rule break. According to the club, they're fairly tight-lipped on this. They've made this decision for the good of the squad and the maintenance of standards within the first team. This is the third breach of COVID-19 guidelines that Aubameyang has done in the last 18 months. Mikel Arteta is frustrated. The Arsenal fans are frustrated. Is this the end of the road for him at Arsenal? In terms of his contract, he's still got another 18 months. He's the highest paid player at Arsenal, so it's going to be difficult to shift him if they do want to sell him. But given the fact that the captaincy has now been taken away from him, there's even the potential that his starting place has been taken away from him. He's not going to feature tonight as a punishment for the situation. Are we nearing the end of the road for, for Aubameyang at Arsenal? Certainly it's starting to look that way, isn't it? And especially when you go back a year or 18 months or so and you know he, he was really singing the praises of um, of Arteta and saying he's my man and uh, declaring himself the, the coolest captain in football uh, which is uh, not really working out quite so well at this moment in time look COVID-19 is a big problem um, for, for everybody but within football clubs where you've got guys all pretty close together as we mentioned um, last week that not all of them are, are fully vaccinated either but the rules Rules have been changed for, for football clubs that the ones that had high vaccination rates were allowed to let their guard down a little bit more. Now that's all changed. The rules have come back in again and you've got to behave yourself like you did in the uh, in, in, in sort of the first instance of, of football clubs um, coming back during the pandemic. You know, the trust and, and if you're the captain in particular, but, you know, he's a well-known, highly paid footballer. Uh, and for him, you know, to be flouting rules, it, obviously sets a bad example within the club but also it sets a bad example out of the club as well to, to you know youngsters to anybody to anybody who sees people of influence flouting the rules we've seen what happens to to Boris you know with uh, you know what are people saying now people are saying if they lock us down we're not going to pay any attention or why should I if he can do that and it, the same goes to anybody of influence like Aubameyang you know he's there on a pedestal there's kids with posters of him on the wall they see him saying well I'll do whatever I want to do then they they're going to do it. It's just as simple as that. Um, so, yeah, it's right that they're punishing him, but it seems to be this as is part of a you know a long line of of um gripes if you if you like between him and, and the management at Arsenal and you know the writings on the wall and you know you get people like that in any team whether you're a football club whether you work in a factory or an office or whatever you know if there's one more on amongst your amongst your your, your crowd who's sort of upsetting the team <laughs> feeling if you like then you know it just it becomes a side sideshow doesn't it that you don't need and Arsenal uh, you know have got enough sort of issues I'm sure going on trying to keep pace with everything else that's happening in the Premier League and beyond than, than having this kind of stuff going on and it's also the sort of stuff that feeds 
reads the papers. You know, the the papers love this kind of stuff more than they love reporting on a result. You know, because this is the kind of stuff that sells papers. That you know, the Obergate as as has been called, or or you know, the latest installment in this uh, in this soap opera is is just perfect at this time of year for papers, and it just becomes a whole load of crap that you don't need to be messing about with. Just looking at the situation, and, and maybe to not necessarily give Aubameyang a break, Matt, but we look at the situation at Arsenal, and you do have to ask, is there an issue internally within the club in terms of the characters that they're selecting to be captain? I'm just looking at some of the names going back, and in, in the last 14, 14 and a half seasons, Arsenal have had nine permanent club captains, which is not good, because it demonstrates just how much they're chopping and changing. Yeah. And when you go through the list, none of them have really had a particularly glorious period. William Gallas, obviously, on pitch antics where he demonstrated he wasn't a great leader. Cesc Fabregas pushed for a move to Barcelona. Robin Van Persie pushed for a move to Manchester United. Thomas Vermaelen perpetually injured. Mikhail Arteta's probably the, the standout name on that list mm. in terms of exemplary attitude towards being captain. Per Mertesacker just forgot how to play football. Lauren Koscielny pushed for a move and got it. Granit Xhaka told the fans to politely leave him alone and now we have the situation with Aubameyang so you go through that list it's like the worst school register you can imagine so given the situation with Aubameyang I think there is rightful justification to criticise him for his conduct in the last few months and particularly in the last couple of weeks but you do have to start asking the questions of who is picking these captains are they just pulling names out of a hat because with a few exceptions off that list none of them should have ever been captain no, I was going to mention the um, Arsenal captain curse before you, you listed them players. I was thinking about Gallas when he sat in the middle of the pitch against Birmingham, you know, like a, like a petulant school child. Um, yeah, it, Arsenal have had a lot of problems with captains over the last few years, like you mentioned. Long gone are the days of Tony Adams, who was a true leader, do you know what I mean, who led Arsenal to league titles the way he did. So it's basically got to come down to now probably who the players think's most fitting to be captain because Aubameyang's already proven now time and time again that he's not fit to be a captain he clearly thinks he's above the rules of the club and you can't have someone captain the club who thinks that you know because like I was mentioning there bad apple spoils the bunch every village has its idiot he's done it before he's done it again and now you know three strikes and you're out kind of thing you can't do that You can't, when you've got rules at a football club you can't go flouting them like that it's just it's disrespectful Arteta has been fantastic with the situation he's come out he's not lied about it and he said look he's breached rules he's dropped and now he's been stripped to the captaincy which is fair enough I was expecting that when it happened you can't just go out and do the things that he's done there especially with the way things are now in society you just can't do it I think um, there's there's a number of players in Arsenal that would be fitted to be the captain obviously you'll know more me know more about this than me Fergal because obviously you're an Arsenal fan but players like Gabriel even like Aaron Ramsdale as well seems to be a, a good character in the dressing room you know probably more fitting to be a captain than a Bamiang um, in, the, in the future players like ML Smith-Rowe He's a, a future Arsenal captain in the making for me. So I don't know. I, don't, I want to know your thoughts on, on it, to be honest, Fergal, because obviously you're, you're an Arsenal fan. You're going to know more about it than me. I think the situation that they're going to find themselves in the short term is that they'll probably pick someone and kind of give it to Giggsy until the end of the season situation. So I think like an interim captain. Shaq, uh, Granite. Yeah, I think it'll be Granite Xhaka or Alexandra Lacazette between now and the end, end, the end of the campaign because they're the most experienced players in, in either a young team or a team that's full of new signings. Don't forget, we've got an absolute raft of new players that have come into the club this summer. You look at the starting eleven: Ramsdale, White, Gab, uh, Gabriel's been there a bit longer, Tommy Yasu, Erdegaard, who was on loan, but now he's coming on a permanent deal. So there's lots of candidates, there's lots of names being thrown around, but I think ultimately there's maybe not that many standout characters there's a lot of talk around Ben White because of the style that he plays in he's a centre-back he sees the game in, in front of him but I think Arsenal need to move away from this idea of a really prominent individual within the team being the captain because that's been the mistake that they've made over, over a number of years my pick would be Kieran Tierney um, just based on the way that I think he handles himself the way that he operates he's a very very consistent professional well liked within the squad well respected he's had a couple of issues in terms of injury but 
I don't want a kind of celebrity captain for Arsenal, someone that other fans know who he is, because that's not necessarily what you want from a captain. You want a captain that will maintain standards, look to stick to the rules, look to develop the squad, look to motivate the squad. And I think Tierney is a nice age in terms of the bracket, whereby the younger players will respect him because he's an international, he's a Premier League player. And the more experienced heads, who generally speaking at Arsenal have been the problem over the last few years, will defer to him Shaka Abamyang if he comes back in and, and Alexandre Lacazette but to be realistic I don't think there's that many or certainly one really outstanding candidate in terms of the current squad but Kieran Tierney will be my pick based on uh, based on the options available but I think uh, in the short term it's going to be Shaka or, or Lacazette mm. until the end of the season that makes but, sense uh, bit of a mess that uh, bit of a mess that Arteta needs to dig himself out of but um, more importantly the game tonight Ian um, in terms of a result West Ham are obviously still inside the top four Arsenal pushing to overhaul them to get into the top four if they win tonight they'll jump ahead potentially and go into the Champions League places and West Ham have had a little bit of an inconsistent run that win against Chelsea got a bit of positivity back into them but that's just one win in five in all competitions and it's it's not been as slick an operation as it was towards the end of October and moving into November and there does seem to be this idea that if they don't get goals from certain players they do struggle to, to break teams down and get that goal that equals three points. Yeah, I, I do fancy um, Arsenal to do it, actually. I think that, you know, lately they've, they seem to have found a little bit of form to me. I haven't been watching them particularly closely, but I, I know that the start of the season wasn't particularly um, majestic, but they do seem to be getting a grip of things now. West Ham um, are always, uh, at the moment, a fairly solid outfit to break down, workmanlike, and at the moment, of course, in that in that top four, just about. I do fancy, though, the, you know, the, the planets to start to realign and, and all the old favourites at the top that we've uh, we, we've come to know. And with that in mind, I think that Arsenal will do it just about. I don't think it'll be pretty, but I think with Arsenal being at home, um, you know, heading towards Christmas, it'll probably be a decent crowd as it always is. But you know maybe a bit more jovial than perhaps sometimes they are at Arsenal and just to sneak it something like 2-1 just but it'd be, it'd be a good game you know big London derby um, Matt in terms of your position on this if Arsenal win they jump above West Ham with Manchester United not playing until tomorrow they'll go into the top four which will be the first time this season Aubameyang if he can get himself a ticket he'll be in the crowd maybe potentially how do you see this going? Um, with Arsenal um, they've got an identity now under Arteta well it seems that way anyway they've had a decent unbeaten run as well this season um, West Ham under Moyes we all know how tough they are to beat they can do you from set pieces they've got some very very physical players in their squad but with Arsenal having um, home advantage tonight I can see Arsenal winning I can see Arsenal winning 2-1 tonight very good I'm always delighted to have you both on on a Wednesday because I'm making it 3 for 3 Arsenal to win and move up into the top 4 but if we're still in the top 4 at the end of the season I can say right here and right now I will be <laughs> shocked doesn't matter who the captain is I will be shocked if Arsenal finish in the Champions League places this season right we're going to call it there for today's edition of the Football Social Daily Ian, Matt as always thanks for your time Nice well, one, thank fellas. you. Thank you. Can I just announce that uh, the latest episode of Humans of Speedway is available from today, featuring the 2021 British Speedway champion Adam Ellis. Have that for a plug. Wonderful, yeah, and I'll give Fantastic. an additional plug to uh, to Ian's. We'll do a double plug. Uh, the Sports Social Network has absolutely stacks of podcasts, including Ian's uh, Speedway special there. Right the way across the spectrum, we've got football, we've got Speedway, we've got golf, we've got cricket, plenty for you to check out. So if you go into the website, you can find way more to get yourself stuck into there. That's it for today. We're going to be back tomorrow reviewing these games and also previewing Thursday's games. There's so much going on in the Premier League at the moment, and then it's non-stop right the way through to the weekend because we pick up and we go again. Thanks so much for listening and we'll speak to you again very, very soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favourite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.